It's Al Cole from CBS Radio, and I want to tell you about a Renaissance woman who excels at everything she puts her innovative mind to. And you know, I'm going to start it out like this. What would you say if I told you that I was going to introduce you to a lady who is a very successful business entrepreneur and a world-class creative force as a realtor, interior designer, hosts charity golf tournaments for wildlife, and is the cutting-edge author of the stunning Magical Forces Within? Well, Al, I'd say makes the introduction, brother. <laughs> I've just been dying to learn some of all of those things from somebody who sounds like a real magnetic lady. <laughs> well... You're in luck because not only can you learn about the fabulous life accomplishments of this woman, whose name happens to be Rhonda Grant, <laughs> but week in and week out, Rhonda will introduce you to some of the most exciting guests on the planet as she hosts her own awesome podcast, The Rhonda Grant Show, on Contact Talk Radio. Week to week, Rhonda skillfully weaves the magical forces within her with the extraordinary discoveries in the sometimes ordinary lives of her guests who blossom before your very eyes through the guidance and know-how of such a skilled and sensitive host as Rhonda Grant. you got to check it out. Check out all the action at RhondaGrantAuthor.com. That's RhondaGrantAuthor.com. Dot com to witness the extraordinary discoveries in otherwise ordinary lives. And I hear some of you asking right now, well, Al, how do you know all this? <laughs> I'll tell you. It's because I weave some of the same magic on my own nationally syndicated show called People of Distinction. It's all about humanity at its best. Every guest with extraordinary things to say about the magical forces within life itself. Get it? So check them out. The Rhonda Grant Show, Extraordinary Discoveries in Ordinary Lives, and People of Distinction, created by me, Al Cole from CBS Radio, now hosted by my amazing son, Benji Cole. You can check out People of Distinction on Apple Music or email me for exciting updates on my music and my books, too, especially Romance for Women on Amazon. Email me at al at alcoholic.com. You heard me right. That's A L at A-L-C-O-L-E-H-O-L-I-C.com. And I really want to thank my CBS radio listeners for coming up with that handle, Alcoholic. <laughs> Seems like from day one, my listeners have been saying, Al, we love what you're doing there, brother. In fact, we're hooked on it. We're Alcoholics. So here we go in classic form with a swing of a golf club as she hosts another charity golf tournament for wildlife and another incomparable Rhonda Grant show. So all together, everybody, here's Rhonda. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to the Rhonda Grant show right now. And I have a lot of great guests on this show and I have a great guest coming up. If you've been searching for a deeper meaning in your life, Go to Amazon and pick up my book, Magical Forces Within. You know, we are all ordinary people having extraordinary experiences. And we have a fantastic guest on the show today, Dr. Joel Bryant. Joel is a passionate speaker and gifted author. He is known for his ability to bring greatness out in others. In fact, he has spent the last 25 years writing and speaking in efforts to help others self-actualize. Each of us has, he says, the capacity for immensity, expansion, and transformation, which he outlines in his latest book, The New Being, Preparing for the Emergence of a New Humanity. We're going to find out about his extraordinary experiences. Hi, Joel. How are you? Hi, Rhonda. Thank you for having me on the show. Glad to be here today. 
Oh, I'm so thrilled that you're on my show. What inspired you to write your recent book, The New Being? It was a result of 30 years of reflection and observation and questioning about the human experience, the so-called human condition, and the things that we accept as normal and really not wanting to transcend our conceits or our traditions that really keep us stuck and really stop us from experiencing extraordinary as a normal part of our lives. That should be our norm. So the book is an attempt to try to help people un, um, unpack those obstacles that prevent them from experiencing transformation and expansion, which is what we all want. Yeah, so that's, that's the short answer. Yeah, we all want that. Um, I'm just wondering if people really, do they realize that they can be extraordinary? It's in everybody. It's innate. It's instinctive. It's a part of our, it's, it comes a part of our package. You know, it's, our, it's part of our precognitive package. But what happens is we have this society where most people are not raised in an environment where greatness was a requirement. So they learn to conform, they know to downsize their dreams, downsize their expectations, deny their intuitions, suppress their hunches. And when you do that, you set yourself up for a life of quiet desperation, even though you might be successful superficially. So everybody knows it. A lot of people just don't have the courage to be and to do and to embrace what they feel instinctively. And our society reinforces, you know, it, it reinforces average. Yes. And so I'm wondering if, if you go to school and you're expected to be average and your family expects you to be average, um, where within myself, for instance, can I find my genius? Where do I look for that? Honor your desire, honor your discontent, honor your disgust, your emotions, our emotions are the messengers that let us know we're living beneath our privileges. And so a lot of times, because we look at other people, we say, well, they, they're happy and they're doing okay and they seem to be okay. And we're looking at other people, we're, we're taking our cue from other people. And you see, the way to change your life, you have to be able to obey your heart. What is it that you want to do? What gives you joy? What gives you juice? What gives you energy? What awakens you? What quickens you? And you have to be able to follow that independent of other people's criticisms, other people's complaints, because if you, if you don't, if we don't understand this. Most people are trained to conform. Mm -hmm. They give you aid, they give you good grades for staying in line. Innovators, pioneers, thinkers, visionaries, those people are always penalized and ostracized and alienated. But what sets them apart is this, they had the courage because I'm gonna tell you something, you can inspire, you can motivate, you can affirm, you can support, but without courage, or Aristotle said that courage is a cardinal virtue. Without courage, you can't do anything. And courage, Rhonda, courage is simply a choice. Mm -hmm. it's, all, it's, it's just simply a choice to say, I reject the social prescription for my life. I reject convention, I reject tradition. I'm going to make my own way and I'm going to do it in my way, at my pace, and in a way that fits my person. And once you say that, then you know what happens? The world opens up for you. Things begin to happen that you think would never happen for you, but it begins with having courage to pursue your dreams. 
I find uh, for some people, it's really hard to get that courage because they have loved ones around them that expect them to be a certain way. And when you step out of that uh, realm Mm -hmm. and you step into a new existence, um, you're, you're all, you're on your own, aren't you? You, you are alone, but what, I think what people don't realize that you're alone anyway. So why not uh, take that leap? Because we have to see most people, and I'm speaking generally, but a lot of people don't have the ability to affirm themselves. They don't mm-hmm. have the ability. And when they do affirm themselves, they don't, they don't embrace an affirmation. So they look for external affirmation. And, and a lot of times, yes, if you're, in, if you're in a relationship dynamic or a family dynamic where people are not supportive or they're, they're very conservative, they want to play it safe, yes, they're going to discourage you and they're going to do it from the premise of love. But at the end of the day, this is your life. This yes. is your, you, you have a right to your life. The declaration says the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of, that is an inalienable right. That means, in, it means no one can separate you from that right except yourself. So you can't blame your family. See, that's a lack of courage. When we blame other people for our unwillingness to transform, that's a lack of courage. Mm-hmm. Nobody is stopping me. No system is stopping me. And if we don't adopt that kind of narrative, then we're going to nullify our own transformation. Mm-hmm. I know that it took a lot of bravery um, when it was coming up for the release of my book. And I had to really garner up some bravery because uh, nobody knew a part of me that was in that book. And, mm-hmm. but once, uh, once I released it, it was so empowering exactly. to feel that I had done that, <laughs> you know, it was, I just felt like I was 10 feet tall and I'm five, five. And so it, and, and I think that people need to realize that when they have these seeds inside of them that need to be watered and nurtured, uh, whatever it is uh, that they want to do with their life is if they just know the feeling that you get from being uh, for just being your yourself and growing your gifts. I think that people would, would uh, spend more time in reflection, contemplation and uh, developing the gifts that, uh, that they came to this world with. Well, I think people have to understand that we can be vulnerable because when you're talking about releasing a book or any kind of artwork, any kind of public demonstration of something that comes out, come out of your person. There's a degree of vulnerability because you're going to receive criticism. You're going to receive, you know, all kinds of feedback that may not be, may not be positive, but here's the deal. We can be vulnerable without being fragile. You're not going to break. People are incredibly resilient. We have the ability to overcome anything. In my book, I talk about human nature. Yes. Okay. And I talk about human nature is not anything. Human nature, as what we call human nature, the human condition is a reflection of our beliefs, our incentives, and our constraints. What do we motivate and what do we inspire in people? That's what's going to be displayed. What do we penalize and what do we criticize? That's going to be discouraged. And then what do people believe? Because you and I will never go beyond our beliefs. Our beliefs are the barriers and the basis for our lives. 
So yes, you're writing a book, you do, you know, you're starting a business. There's a degree of vulnerability. But guess what? You are not gonna break. When a child falls, I know when I was raising my daughter, I have one daughter. Mm-hmm. And when my daughter used to fall, I didn't run to pick her up. I just looked at her, I said, get up. Let's go. My oldest brother's blind. You know, when he would have certain hardships, we didn't baby my brother. We didn't, we say, come on, you need to get up. And then we push him back down and wouldn't even let him up because we wanted him to, to learn how to be resilient and resourceful and don't feel sorry for yourself. And my daughter is very successful this day. She has her own business. She's, I mean, she's living a full life. My brother, born blind, had a stroke in the womb, but he's a winner. So if you're going to win in life, you've got to stop having pity parties. You've got to embrace your vulnerability and recognize that you are not fragile. You are not going to break. Get up, dust yourself off, and move in the direction of your dreams. That's wonderful. How inspiring. Oh, my goodness. Is there a secret to help people get in touch with their gifts or the true essence of themselves? First, I think it's, it's reflection. Yes. Think about what is it that gives you life. First, I like to write. Like, I love to write. Yeah. I've always loved to write, even when I wasn't a writer. But I know every time I put an ink pen into a notepad, I come alive. And so when I was a corporate trainer, I began to say, I'm going to become a writer. And I began to write every day. So what you do, develop a relationship with your interests, with your gift. Cultivate a relationship. So I have a relationship with words. I have a relationship with ideas. I carve time in my day and, you know, and I spend time cultivating that interest. So reflection, meditation, pay attention to what gives you juice. Most people's hobbies is probably what they should be doing for a living because a hobby ideally is something that we do to replenish, to renew, and to revitalize. And see, I like the way Henry David Thoreau says it. He says that we should get our living by our loving. So 15, 20 years ago, I was a corporate trainer. I quit in October 2nd, 2000 because I wanted to write. I went through homelessness. I went through car repossessed. I went through having bad credit. I went through all of that. But I made a decision to follow my dream. And you fast forward 20 years later, I get to write every single day. There's not a day go by where I don't get to write because you know what I did? I said, Joel, you've got to develop a relationship with your gifts. And then once you discover your gift, you got to own it. You don't ask for permission. See, that's the other piece, Rhonda. Most people are seeking permission to be who they are. Yes. And you can't do that because people will not give you permission. If being who you are is going to disrupt somebody else's life, guess what? They are not going to give you permission to be who you are. So I had to tell my wife and my daughter, I say, listen, I'm going to change my life. I can no longer be a corporate trainer. I don't get any juice. It's great money and the status and all of that, but I don't get anything from it. So we may have a shift in our lifestyle. I waited till my daughter was grown and got out to college. And I had a, a wife that was very supportive of what I did. Yeah. But that's what you have to do. There's no secret. The secret is this, understanding this, that your heart won't lie to you. Your emotions won't lie to you. If you're unhappy, you don't have to quit your job today, which is what I did. I quit cold turkey, but you can make a plan and do it little by little and begin to incorporate your gifts into your life. And it'll change your lifestyle. 
So um, a person should, if they, if they want to be a writer, then they would carve out, as you said, that, that uh, place in, in their day, every day, a, like the daily an practice. Early. Get up mm-hmm. an hour early. I used to go up at four o'clock in the morning. I had to be to work at eight o'clock at the time. I got up at four o'clock. I'd meditate for half an hour. I'd write until it was time to go to work. When I got to the parking lot, before I went inside, I'd write for five minutes. When I got inside at my desk, I'd write for 15 minutes before I started work. Then I started work. I would work, make a few sales calls, make some sales. I'd write for 10 minutes. When I took my break, I didn't talk to my coworkers. I wouldn't, I sat in my car and wrote. When it was my lunch hour, I went to my car and I wrote. When I got ready to go home at the end of the day, before I put out the parking lot, I wrote for 15 minutes. When I got home, before I got out of the car, I wrote for 15 minutes. See, you have to be able to see if we can't use now, we won't ever reach then. Yes. You know, we've got to use here to get to there. Because most people, Rhonda, they want ideal conditions. Conditions mm-hmm. don't have to be ideal for me to change my life. Conditions don't have to be ideal for a person to change their life. And most people unconsciously are seeking ideal conditions. And when you do that, you become you you become a you become a barrier to your own success and your own progress. Not success, just progress. So some yeah, some people want to wait until the conditions are just perfect and they wait and wait and wait and wait. And and if you keep on doing the same thing that you're doing today for the next five years, that's exactly where you'll be, is the same place you are you were five years ago. Uh, you do have to take action. And action is based on information. So what 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 are people listening to? What is feeding? Are you are you listening to something that's feeding your spirit, feeding your feeding your dream? See, when I was working as a corporate trainer, and I noticed how I just noticed a pattern of people. Okay. Monday they'd be like, okay, you know, whatever. Tuesday, mm, Wednesday they fed up. It's like, man, hump day. I'm just wish I could do something. That Wednesday was the biggest day for I'm planning on that job. And I would tell people, but by Friday, we get paid. They're excited. They got the weekend, a beach trip, a vacation, whatever they had planned. And I would tell people, I'd say, on Wednesday, when you're at the height of your disgust, bottle your disgust, take it home, and drink it on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Stay disgusted. Because disgust is a great catalyst for transformation. See, I refuse to be consoled. I refuse to be pacified. I refuse to be palliated. I refuse to be anesthetized into accepting a life that didn't fit me. So I don't care how big my bonus check was. I don't care how big my commission check was. On Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I stayed disgusted. I stayed motivated. I stayed inspired. And most people don't have, don't have the ability or they're not willing to sustain an emotional state that is the impetus and the axis for change. Mm-hmm. So you got to create, you have to create an environment or a structure that supports your intentions, which means new relationships, new friendships, new ways of thinking, challenging old belief systems. Nothing is sacred but the person. So it's going to take a radical, and the word radical means root. It's going to take a root shift in our thinking 
to get us to the place where we're living a life that we imagine instead of imagining a life that we'll never have, which is what most people do. And then they look at the 1%. They look at Jeff Bezos, for example, because he's in, you know, he went to space and they want to penalize him. That man paid the price. I remember the picture they posted back in the 90s. He was standing in front of his little two-car garage full yes. of books. I remember that picture. Wall Street was a Wall Street guy. He left that to do his to do Amazon. Why are we going to penalize people who paid the price for their greatness and then try to take from them to give to those who are not doing anything? So I, I just believe in this. Mm-hmm. I believe that I believe that we have to stop serving systems that subsidize weakness. Do we help those who are fallen? Absolutely. We help those who are downtrodden. Yes, we do. But do we subsidize weakness? No. We should demand greatness of people, provide resources for them to achieve that, and those things are here. You, let me tell you something, Rhonda. Yeah. In the twenty first century, you have to be hyper intentional to be ignorant or poor. Because if you have a library card or a smartphone, you are in business. You can be in business today with a library card or a smartphone. Now, will you make money today? No, but if you shift your mindset, because I'm going to tell you something, life is really nothing but a reflection of our internal dialogue, our thoughts. It's not in the car. It's not the car we drive. It's not our check stuff. That makes it easier, maybe. But when I was homeless sleeping in my car, I wrote then. My wife's in the back seat. I'm in the front seat. Yes, I'm frustrated, but I kept writing. And what's so ironic, the book that I wrote when I quit Dunn and Bradstreet, my book was called, second book was called Work, Why? Diary of a Dreamer. I yes. wrote about what I wrote about what I call the insanity or the lunacy that passes for work. Because in those jobs, like in that job, people wasted half the day looking busy while complaining about the job. And that book, when I quit a year later, that book won me ten thousand dollars because I began I, I chronicled I chronicled my complaints and put them in print, and they paid me later. And that's how we got off the street from that book. Fantastic. So, long answer, but we cannot subsidize weakness. Mm-hmm. You know, weakness is a choice. See, weakness is a sickness is weaknesses. My brother is blind, stroke in the wound, can't see. He has all kinds of medical issues, but every day he's got a project. Every day he's got a project. He's getting the Uber going somewhere. He's getting a bus going somewhere. He's getting a cab. Every day he's got something that he's doing. And he will not wait on me. If he needs something done, I'll say, well, well, I'll do it tomorrow. He says, okay. I go by tomorrow. He's already had it. He says, well, I didn't want to wait, so I went and got it done. I didn't want to wait on you. Mm-hmm. So if, if he can do that with all his limitations, and I've got all of my faculties, and I'm fairly cognitively uh, normal, then what is my excuse for not pursuing my dream, changing my life, experiencing the extraordinary? Sorry about the long answer, but that's that's something that is really dear to my heart. I love long answers. 
<laughs> They're really good because uh, different people pick up on different things that you're saying. And we don't know what's going to resonate with the listener. We don't know the people that you're touching today uh, with them. You know, and I wonder uh, if people just subscribe, they're subscribing to um, just going along with the crowd and they're not subscribing to themselves. They're subscribing in being uh, belonging. Um, but I mean, the uh, commercials on, tel on television also tell us uh, what to wear, uh, what's new, what fad to buy. And we're always striving. I think the human nature is we are striving, but we're striving for the next fix. Well, here's the deal. Mm-hmm. That, that television, I have a, uh, one of my friends gave me a 55-inch smart screen TV last year. It's never been plugged up. See, the television has an off button. I'm not compelled to watch anything. See, see here again, people will feed themselves junk and then wonder why they can't change their life. Exactly. And so, you know, they don't have to watch television. I mean, I'm just not a television watcher. Maybe one day I'll go back and watch you know, chose my childhood, but right now I don't want anybody programming me. Think about that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to watch my program. That concept, I'm going to watch something that's going to prescribe for me and describe to me what I'm supposed to want. And the more I do that, the more I lose touch with the ability to authentically define what I want for myself. And so it's easy to get what they show on TV for the most part, American system of credit is designed for you to go get the things that's going to move the economy. But greatness, no, that's exceptional. So we make stories up. These people were special. No, Jeff Bezos is, is not any more special than you and I, because I define special this way. People who are special are specific. They're clear about who they are and what they want, and they don't stop until they get it. That's what makes you special. You're not special because you have an ability. A lot of people have an ability. A lot of people have talent. A lot of people have gifts, but they don't have guts. Because without guts or grit, your gifts will never actualize. So if I was trying to change my life, I would only watch things on television that feed me, that challenge me that teach me things. That's what I, would, I wouldn't watch. Any, I wouldn't entertain any other conversations. When I was going through that homeless stage, I, I could not afford to indulge in self-pity for too long. Of course I did because I'm human. I felt like, you know, I had a lot of, of self-questioning, but I said, Joel, things are too important for you to pity yourself. You need a strategy and not pity. So I would go to the bookstore and sit in Borders back then. This is in, this right the week after 9-11 when we became homeless. I would go to Borders and sit there and read books on business. I would read books on um, personal psychology and, and personal transformation mm -hmm. because I was preparing for a reality that I wasn't living. Right. And that's what people have to do. We have to have a vision because the other piece, Rhonda, you can have gifts but no vision. I have friends that are very gifted, but they have no vision for their gift. But they can watch television and see somebody else who has the same gift and criticize that person all day long. Yeah. Because you got to take a gift, match it to a vision. 
And out of that, you, can be, you begin to develop a strategy. You begin to develop tactics. You begin to see things in your environment that right now you're passing by because why? You don't have a vision on how to use your gift. People can do a lot. This is the age of expansion and transformation. Yes. You're listening to the Rhonda Grant Show right now. And my guest today is Dr. Joel Bryant. How many people contact you, Joe? Uh, you can get me on my website, drjoelbryant.webs.webs.com. drjoelbryant.webs.webs.com. Or email me at joel at joelbryant1.com. And of course, on LinkedIn, um, Facebook, Twitter. I'm also known, I go by um, the voice of greatness on Twitter. So oh, wonderful! All, all those platforms. Yes, that's fantastic. Do you feel that you've been guided on your mission or called? No, I don't feel it. You I don't feel it. it. You I do it. it. Yeah, I know, I know it. I know it beyond any shadow of a doubt. On the days I try to doubt that I'm guided, I can't. Because there have been too many things that have happened in my life. You know, we call them luck or coincidence or happenstance or serendipity. Right. But I call it, I call it Providence. You know, okay. we have a street, we have a street here in Charlotte called Providence Road. And the word Providence simply means this. It means to see ahead beforehand and to provide for. Shakespeare said it this way. There's a divinity that shapes our ends, however much we screw up. Shakespeare recognized this. Emerson says it this way, we lie in the lap of an immense intelligence that makes us receivers of its truths and organs of its activity. So yes, not only am I guided, you're being guided. The person who doesn't know they're being, people who don't even know they're being guided are being guided. They're just not aligned with the guidance. They didn't have an awakened to the guidance. Right. Because why? All of us are significant. All of us have a part to play in the web of humanity. And it's only to the degree that we sense that we're being cared for, that we can take risks, that we're being cared for, that we can be vulnerable. So yes, I know I've been guided. I mean, it's been the last, consciously, the last 30 years of my life, I've been aware of divine guidance. Well, I'm sure that people can feel it. You have a passion that is unbelievable. I, I just love hearing you speak. I love how you how articulate you are, and you uh, your genius. Uh, really, it's incredible. What extraordinary discoveries have you found in your life, or what extraordinary discovery have you found in your life? I've just realized that there's a dimension of awareness that is available to everybody, and. I remember I used to practically, I used to, I like, I love to write quotes, the little short pithy witty sayings, right? So mm -hmm. I remember back in 2001 or two, maybe about 2000, in five years, I had written 10 quotes and five of those were trash. And I knew they were trash, but I still kept them. One morning I got up, I went into my little, my little bedroom office. I grabbed my journal, I grabbed the pen. I started writing quotes. I wrote for four hours. And from that day until right now, it's almost like I begin to get access to the excess of the universe. 
I began to get access to the Universal Library. I've written, when I was getting my doctorate degree, doing my dissertation, which is supposed to be hard, and it was sort of kind of hard, I wrote six books while doing my dissertation. Oh. Because I began to tap into, my, see, when, when, when people hear the word genius, they think of IQ, which is wrong. The word genius in Latin, now I would never describe myself as a genius, but the word genius in Latin simply means guardian spirit. Socrates used the word daemon, D-A-I-M-O-N, to refer to his genius, his guardian spirit. We all have something that watches over us. You can call it angels. You can call it a guardian spirit. It doesn't matter the terminology. It doesn't change, it doesn't change the reality. So from that day to this day, I begin to have, I begin to get access to a dimension of awareness that makes life so rich. And that, uh, that, and that dimension, that dimension, Ron, is available to everybody. I say it this way in my book, The New Being. I yes. say that new demands, and I'm sure you, your listeners would agree, we're all facing new demands. Mm-hmm. New demands open new dimensions in human nature. Or we say in a kind of cliche way, necessity is the mother of invention. So if we will just put a demand on ourselves to be better, to be more, every day I guess it's Joel. I bet you can't write, uh, you, you can't write poetry, I write a poem. I bet you can't write philosophy, I write something philosophical. I said, I bet you can't write nothing metaphysical. I write something. I bet you can't write something esoteric. I bet you can't write something linear and plain and succinct and concise. So every day I challenge myself to be a better writer, a better thinker. I put a demand on myself because why? There's nobody in my life, Rhonda. I have nobody in my life right now who demands greatness of me. Nobody. I mean, I was married for 20 years and my wife died. So mm-hmm. it's just me and my six plants. So nobody wakes up and say, Joel, be better. Be smarter, be wiser, be stronger, be more compassionate, be more humane. Nobody does that for me. I do that to myself. And that is a. Mm, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's a fantastic exercise for everyone who was thinking about their greatness right now is to challenge themselves, just like you talked about, is to challenge yourself every day to, be, to do something that you've never done before. I, that is incredible. But you know why I do it? Because in the next life, I always tease my friend. I said, in the next life, I'm going to be Michael Jordan. And see, I did not realize, I did not realize this. Michael Jordan has a commercial. It's one minute and one second. It's called Become Legendary. Legendary. Yes. I'll challenge all your readers to go listen to it. So all the years I watched Michael Jordan play, met Michael Jordan several years ago after, he, after they won um, the third title. So anyway, he has his commercial. And I watched this commercial a hundred times and maybe on the 300th time I, I heard it because I thought Michael Jordan was just born with a set of gifts and abilities that can't be duplicated. But in this commercial, he tells you, he says, he said, I work for this every single day of my life. He said, maybe I made you think I was born this way. He said, no. And I, and I said, you mean you can work that hard and become that good? Because if anybody's ever seen Michael Jordan play, you've never seen anything like it in your life. So I mm-hmm. said, you know what? If he can do that and become that good at basketball, I can't play basketball. 
but I can learn, I can think. So I put myself under the same demand that I heard Michael Jordan say in the commercial. Every single day, I learn five or six new words a day. I, I have 10 books right now on my chair in the living room that I'm going through, I'm reading and I'm retaining what's in those books. This is why I don't watch television. I'm trying to get on TV. I don't want to watch TV. You so, don't have time for television. <laughs> you know, and, and the thing is this, guess what, Rhonda? I love yeah. my life. It's yes. not like, see, I'm not making a sacrifice. See, people say, you got to say, no, this is not a sacrifice. The sacrifice was going to work eight hours. It mm. wasn't, that wasn't a sacrifice. To me, that was a punishment. This is how I saw jobs. I saw work as a punishment because why? I've never had a job, Rhonda, that required greatness of me. They had a quota. When I worked, when I left Dun and Bradstreet, I left there in 2000. Okay, during that time, they had about, I don't know, 25, 35,000 employees worldwide. The year I left, I was named the top, in the top 61 worldwide for my performance. And you know what's so crazy? I would work, I had to be at work, of course, eight hours a day. Mm -hmm. I would work no more than three hours a day every day. The other five hours, I would sit in the corner, write my book, or I would call my mama and complain about the job. So here I am at a fortune, whatever country, a uh, company, 37,000 employees. I'm in the top 61 worldwide and I'm working three hours a day. And, and doing so well that my boss called me in his office at Joel. They are, they are listening to your phone calls. They're going back and they're tracking everything you're doing because they don't understand because they're looking at your talk time on your phone law. You're only on the phone three hours a day, two hours and 57 seconds. And yet you're selling three times your quota every month and you're getting it all on credit cards. So you can't be fortunate and they don't understand how you're doing it. But that job didn't demand greatness of me. It just gave me a quota. Mm -hmm. It didn't utilize my other abilities. It didn't, it didn't utilize my other interests, my other skills or aptitudes or curiosities. But here's the deal. And I'll stop with this. It is not a job's responsibility to create a platform for you to actualize your greatness. Yeah. They hire you for a specific task, for specific goals, and you have to meet those. So I just say for me, I've had this, I've always had this thing about greatness. And I've never liked the ordinary life. And when I began to tap into the spiritual dimensions, and recognize that there is a more excellent way, then it totally changed how I experience reality every single day. Yes, that's so profound. And, and I think that uh, people don't realize that they leave a lot of their life untapped. As you said, like you work three hours a day to do what you were doing, but it didn't, um, it wasn't your genius. It and was just, go ahead, I'm sorry, go ahead. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're just doing a specific job and you're complaining about it. And that's a lot of people do that. And, and they spend their time complaining instead of tapping into and self-actualizing what they've come here to do. And that's the, that takes the bravery. That's people need the bravery to do that. Well, see, I think most of us, and I'm, I've been guilty of this too. And, and let me say everything I'm saying, I'm not saying that I'm not a part of I don't have these same experiences, but I just realized that that's not going to get me what I want. But what I was going to say is this. Most people, when it comes to their dreams and goals and their aspirations, their intentions, they are hung up on how. 
Right. If they can't sit here now and see how they're going to get to their goal, they don't start. So when we don't see how, we don't see now as important or our dream as, as possible. I didn't know how I was going to become a writer to where I could make some money and feed myself. But I knew that I didn't want to, I didn't want to be the top 61 worldwide again the next year in Dun & Bradstreet. That didn't interest me. I mean, it's a great company. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for the company, but I didn't want to be number one again in, in, in the next year. And they I made good money. I mean, they treated me well. I mean, I had a lot of accolades, but I didn't want that again. And so I said, but I'm going to quit. And I, I, mean, I quit cold turkey. And like I said, I lost everything I had, you know? So you don't have to do that. But I didn't allow my not knowing how to stop me. I didn't know that book was going to win me $10,000. I didn't know I was going to go to school. I didn't even know I had intelligence. I thought I was dumb. All through school, they told me I was dumb and I believed them. I didn't know I, was, I had some intelligence. I didn't, know how, I didn't know how I was going to do anything that I'm doing right now. All I knew was I was not going to live a life of quiet desperation. Mm-hmm. I was not going to accept mediocrity as my destiny. And that's the other piece, Rhonda, two things real succinctly. The two right. most important things in life are this for me. Knowing your purpose. And if you don't know your purpose, then your purpose is to discover your purpose. If you don't know your purpose every day, you're going to get up and discover your purpose. And the way you know that, as I said before, what makes you feel good? What turns you on? Or what do you see in society that turns you off that you wish, quote, somebody would do something about? That's a clue to your purpose. The other piece besides your purpose is you got to have, and this is the most important thing, you've got to have a sense of destiny. That you are too important for your life to be filled with just commercials and circumstances. That everything that you're going through, everything that you've gone through is the ingredient for your greatness. There is nothing I haven't been through. Everything I've been through, Rhonda, has prepared me and propelled me to be able to do what I'm doing. And guess what? I'm not doing what I want to do on the level of the platform that I envision. But everything that I've been through, every heartache, every heartbreak, being homeless, my wife dropping dead at the movie theater, all that has served the goal that life put me here for because life put her in my life to sharpen me and to refine me and to polish me. And when she did her job, it was time for, and it wasn't just for me, but when she self-actualized, it was time for her to go. And I couldn't say that when when this happened seven years ago, but as I look back now, I have friends who are still mourning the loss of a spouse 15 years later. Mm -hmm. I was married 20 years. My wife did, she she worked, had her own little business. She did everything for me. I never bought clothes in 20 years of marriage. She would run my bath water, not because I asked her to, that's just what she did. My wife, I didn't know that, I didn't know that then, but I know it now. My wife saved my life. Oh, and I've never, I've, I've never done a drug. I've never drank or smoked. But I didn't think that relationships were important. I thought, why was anybody want to have a spouse? That's like a waste of time. I didn't. I mean, mm-hmm. I really thought that. And after <laughs> being married to her, she totally changed my life. So having a sense of destiny. Don't get hung up on asking, quote unquote, God, why did this happen? Man, that's a, that that unless unless you're asking that from a, as a unless it's a rhetorical question, that's going to lead you down a garden path 
of despair. So when you have a sense of destiny, you step back and you take the long range view that I don't know why this happened and I don't, and it's very painful, but it's gonna be an ingredient to my greatness as I move down a lot, as I move down the path of my purpose. Joel, it's just such a pleasure uh, to, to uh, listen to you and to have you on my show. I mean, I have goosebumps listening to you. Uh, it's, it's just incredible. So as we begin to wrap up, uh, let, the, let our listeners know how they can contact you and, 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 and uh, grab one of your book, grab your new book. It's on um, Amazon. If you go on Amazon and um, the, just, the book is called The New Being, Preparing for the Emergence of a New Humanity. And it's actually volume one. But if you want to know where the age is headed, if you want to know how to prepare for this next expansion and this shift in society, this book is going to, it's very um, visionary or very futuristic in terms of painting a picture of a new reality. But you can find the book on Amazon. You can reach me at drjoelbryant.webs.com, drjoelbryant.webs, W-E-B-S.com, or email me at joel at Joel Bryant, the number one.com. I'd love to hear from you. I want to connect with people. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on my show. And boy, I'd, I'd love to interview you again because uh, you have a lot uh, to share. You have a lot to teach and you've lived a lot. And uh, I just uh, thank you so much for being a guest. Well, thank you for having me. I was glad to be here. Thank you. The theme song uh, coming up for the Rhonda Grant show is Sun on the Water. It's composed and performed by my friend, John Park Wheeler. This is Rhonda Grant with the Rhonda Grant show, author of Magical Forces Within, Extraordinary Discoveries in an Ordinary Life, inviting you to look for the magical forces within yourself today and every day. And thanks so much to my guest, Dr. Joel Bryant. Thanks for tuning in to the Rhonda Grant Show with your host, Rhonda Grant. If you would like to find out more information about Rhonda and her upcoming guests and the work that she does, go to her website, rhondagrantauthor.com. That's rhondagrantauthor.com. 